number of uh, songs that seem to go along with what the message is going to be on. That's pretty good. Lord must have a game plan. Seems to always have one, doesn't he? That's good. Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 3 tonight. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 14. We're going to begin there. Read through verse 19 tonight. Ephesians chapter 3. Verse 14 through 19, I'll read aloud, you read silently with me if you would please. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. That's a great passage, isn't it? Boy, what a great passage. And 
You know, as believers in Christ, we are very blessed. Obviously, we have so many promises that we can truly turn to at any time that will offer us hope and help. And one of the great truths of the Christian life is just uh, the great love of God. And, um, you know, I want to spend just a few moments tonight, and I just want to consider the love of Christ. And I want to number, I want to give you about five different things, maybe six, I think. Let me see here. Better double check. I added one here just a few days ago. <clears throat> there was five. Now there's six. If we wait another few minutes, I'm sure there'll be seven. <clears throat> but uh, we'll do about six of them real quick. We won't take too much time, but we'll go through them. And I just want to talk about the love of Christ a little bit. In the particular passage that we're looking at, he makes a, a couple of, uh, he makes a statement here in verse, uh, where's it at, where he says, <clears throat> may be able, verse 18, to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height. You know, he's trying to give us an idea, man, there's just so much of it. It's so, so large, so grand, so great. And uh, <clears throat> to comprehend the love of Christ is a task. I mean, that, that is, I think, an undaunting task. I don't even know if it's a realistic task to some degree. I don't know that we'll ever really comprehend or understand the love of Christ on this side. <clears throat> but what I do know is we see tremendous evidences of it. And so let's go ahead and have a quick word of prayer, and we'll consider a couple aspects of the love of Christ that I think, I think will be an encouragement to us. And I think, as believers, we need encouraged. We need encouraged because of the world we live in and the life we live and just the place that we stay. I mean, think about sin all around us all the time and, boy, just kind of putting us down and kind of, if we're not careful, discouraging us and even causing us to be depressed at times if we're not careful. And, but we need encouraged. And I believe tonight a simple lesson or message on the love of Christ can help us with that. Let's pray. Father, bless us now these next few minutes. <clears throat> Lord, may you just help us as we consider the love of Christ. Lord, thank you for the fact that you, you've given us example after example of it in the scriptures. You've demonstrated it in our own lives. And we thank you for that great love that you have toward us and the world. Now, Father, bless tonight. And again, may we be encouraged as we face this world, as we face this life. And Lord, we'll thank you and praise you in Christ's name. Amen. So we talk about the love of Christ. First of all, I'm convinced that the love of Christ is unappreciated. It's unappreciated. Let's list a couple of things that Christ has done for us in the name of love. <clears throat> What's some things that Christ has done for us in the name of love? Anybody got an idea? Big Sunday school class tonight? Yeah, go ahead. He died on the cross, yes. Okay, so he came to earth, first of all. Absolutely, wonderful. Anybody else? Yes. He shed His blood and it cleanses us from all sin. Praise the Lord for that shed blood of Jesus Christ. Perfect, precious blood. Yes. <clears throat> yes, He took on the form of sinful flesh and He turned around and, and, he, and he, he lived a perfect, sinless life. He did all that for us. He had to deal with it, didn't He? Man, can you imagine being God Himself and having to live in this? Anybody else? Yes, sir. Okay, He, he grants us the Holy Ghost. That literally takes up permanent residency in our life once we've trusted Christ. Yes, He makes intercession on our behalf, enabling us to come to Him in boldness and great prayer. Yes. Yeah, He took our place, paid for our sin. He literally, literally took our place. Wonderful, wonderful. Yeah. 
yeah, I mean, let this cup pass from me. I don't really necessarily believe myself that that had to do at all with the pain and agony, although that would have been horrible, but it had to do, obviously, and I think more primarily to that separation, uh, that distinction where he turned his back on his own son. Absolutely. Back here. Yeah, he still offers us mercy, without a doubt. I mean, we could go on and on and on and on, could we not? But yet, on the other hand, you consider how men and women have chosen to respond to that kind of love. In John chapter 8, verse 12, the Bible says, Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. I'm the light of the world, he says. So what he's saying is, and he ultimately, he's the light. The light of the world. But the Bible tells us in John 3.19, and this is the condemnation, that light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light. What are we saying? We're saying that mankind has rejected this love, has rejected this Savior. And so, I mean, this love, this love of Christ is unappreciated. As much as Christ has done, I mean, He literally left glory, as was mentioned, and He came to earth and lived a perfect life in a very wretched, sinful world that He created. And literally, the very ones that He created placed Him on a cross that He created. And yet, He still loves us, and we can still turn our back on this Jesus. We can still say no to God, and we can still rebel against His offer of salvation. The love of Christ, I believe, is unappreciated. Number two, the love of Christ is underestimated. It's underestimated. Do you know that love has the power to move people to action? It's because of that love that we now love Him. Think about John chapter 4, verse 19. We love Him because He first loved us. It's that same love. Take your Bible if you would. Look over at 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. Before I make the statement, let's take a look at it. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. <clears throat> make that 2 Corinthians. There we go, that's a little better. I knew something sounded funny. For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. Notice the love of Christ constraineth us. What it's referring to is, is that, that the love of Christ moves a person to restraint or to action. It can move us to restraint. It can cause us to say no to things. It can cause us to say yes to things. It moves us. Boy, the love of Christ is underestimated. So often we fail to realize how powerful that love is and how it affects our lives each and every day. You know, it's amazing what men have done for love. And it is indescribable what men have endured for love. Not just the love of Christ, but unfortunately sometimes love of other things as well. I think of just some of the martyrs. I think of a man by the name of Felix Mance. And Felix Mance, he... He was sentenced to die on January the 5th, 1527. It's been a number of years ago now. But basically he was sentenced to die because he preached and he believed in a second baptism. At that point the Catholic Church had a a real grip, obviously, in Europe. And this particular man, an Anabaptist, if you will, turned around and said, Listen, if you're going to be part of the, the, the body of Christ, you need to be saved. But then once you're saved, you need to be baptized. So they were re baptizing Well, 
The answer to two baptisms was a third baptism. Drowning. So what they do, they took man's hands and they bound him to his knees and they placed a stick between his arms and his legs and they threw him into the icy waters of the Lamat River. His last words were, Into thy hands, O Lord, I commend my spirit. You know what moved him? You know what constrained him and motivated and, and, and truly left, uh, sent him to that place? It was the love of Christ. It certainly wasn't the, the idea of being thrown into some icy waters or going to his death. There's no glamour in that. There was no romantic, romanticizing that act at all. No, he literally loved the Lord Jesus and would not recant, would not allow himself to do anything other than serve the Lord. A man by the name of Dirk Willems. Dirk, he was imprisoned in the, uh, imprisoned in the Netherlands. He escaped through a window by rope. So he's on the run. Well, the prison guard chased him across the frozen river. And as they were racing across the frozen river, he noted and heard the ice crack behind him. And down went that guard that was chasing him. So what does Dirk do? Of course, like us, he says, <laughs> got what you deserved. He was gone. No, he didn't do that. He goes back and rescues the guard. And of course, the guard then captures him. Dirk is burned at the stake. He's remembered as being a compassionate Christian who risked recapture to save his pursuer. Love has caused people to do the most unbelievable things. Isn't that something? The love of Christ is underestimated. You know, you think to yourself, there's no way in the world I could do this, or I could do that, or she could do that, or he could do that. The love of Christ can indeed move people to do things beyond their wildest imagination. So I believe the love of Christ is unappreciated tonight. I think the love of Christ is underestimated. But also, I'm convinced the love of Christ is undermined. It's undermined. Do you know there are a number of people that seek to discourage others from embracing and enjoying the love of Christ? It's kind of sad to think that that would be the case, but it is. You know, they'll sow seeds of doubt in the minds of people concerning Christ and His love. I mean, you hear things like this all the time, whether it be on television shows or maybe even among family and friends that are not faithful Christians or believers in the Lord Jesus. You hear things like, why did he permit this to happen to you or your loved one? I mean, why does he allow the innocent to be harmed? If there was really a God in heaven, a loving God, how could he permit these atrocities? Do you know what that all leads to? undermining the love of God. Because basically what that is, is a question saying, if God really loved you, He would not allow this. But yet the love of Christ is not based on those circumstances or that situation. He loves us in spite of it. He loves us in the midst of it. He loves us no matter what. <clears throat> but the love of Christ is undermined so often, I believe, in our culture and our society today.
Number four, you can't even believe this, can you? You're like, wait a second, there's only six? Number five is a doozy. No, I'm teasing. It's really not. It's, it's really not. We're just moving, buddy. See how good the love of God is? <clears throat> so we've said and we've noted already that the love of Christ is unappreciated. The love of Christ is underestimated. The love of Christ is undermined. But you know, number four, the love of Christ is undeserved. It's undeserved, isn't it? Take your Bible, turn over to the book of Psalm chapter 8. Psalm chapter 8, verse 3. Psalms chapter 8, verse 3. There we read, When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars, which thou hast ordained, What is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? Well, what we have here is a psalmist who is extremely humble, that that says to himself, who in the world am I that you would even take the time to recognize me, let alone love me? And you know he has good reason to think that way. Sadly enough, we, if we're not careful, get the idea that we deserve the love of Christ, that somehow we have earned it. But in reality, there's no reason in the world why God should love us. Notice Isaiah chapter 1, would you please? Isaiah chapter 1, verse 4. The fact is is that mankind is extremely sinful, and the truth is, is that our sin before God is extremely repulsive. Notice in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 4 through 6, what the Bible says. He's referring to his people, the Old Testament, all sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a seed of evildoers, children that are corruptors. They have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked the Holy One of Israel unto anger. They are gone away backward. Why should you stricken any more? You revolt more and more. The whole head is sick and the whole heart faint. From the sole of the foot, even unto the head, there is no soundness in it, but wounds and bruises and purifying sores, that they have not been closed, neither bound up, neither mollified with ointment. We have this picture of sin, and we have a picture of what, it, what we appear in the sight of God in our natural man. Oh, obviously, once we've trusted Christ, we're made clean and we're washed and We've become saints of God as a result of His precious work in our life. But the truth is, is that when God sees us, He sees us as an open canker and sore. He sees nothing there worthy of His love. And yet, for God so loved the world. And someone says, why would God love us? Because. That's the only answer there is. The fact is, is if we really want to become, uh, get really serious about this matter, we understand that not only do we appear as literally an open sore in the sight of God who's holy, but we are the enemies of God in our natural state. Look, if you will, in Romans chapter 5, verse 10. And this is the kind of teaching or preaching that sometimes people will 
listen to and then accuse you of being negative in preaching. But may I say before we can truly experience the grace, we have to come face to face with the disgrace. But boy, when we get a hold of that reality of who and what we are, how much more grateful are we when Jesus Christ shows up at our doorstep, knocking at our heart's door, and as we open it, He comes in and cleans the place up. So sadly, it seems that today we have those that profess Christ, but then go on living how they've always lived. And we wonder, what's really going on? Well, maybe it's simply a profession. Maybe they never did understand how sinful and wretched they were in the sight of a holy God. Maybe they cannot comprehend how horribly vile and wretched they are before Him. And as a result of that, they don't really come to Him for salvation. They come to Him for heaven. Maybe we need to preach and teach a little bit more about how we appear before God in our natural state. Notice again, in our natural state, we are the enemies of God. Romans 5.10 For if, when we were enemies... (laughs) He's talking to the church at Rome. For if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. Notice, when we were enemies. That's a difficult concept to truly wrap our minds around, isn't it? You know, the question is, does God have any enemies? Does God have any enemies? And if we're not careful, what we find ourselves doing is kind of trying to wrap this into a a more, I guess, a, a box, so to speak. Kind of place it in a box and say, okay, well, He can't possibly love these people because they don't believe in Him. Or they allow for atrocities and they do horrible crimes against humanity. So he can't love them. That's, that's not how we distinguish this. The truth is, is, you know, that God loves all mankind. But the problem is, is that does he have any enemies? Yes, the natural man. It has nothing to do with gender. It has nothing to do with nationality. It has nothing to do with race. It has everything to do with origin. Adamic origin. <laughs> And we must be saved, not because we're just so bad in what we do. We're so bad in who and what we are. That's why we need saved. Colossians 1.21 says, And you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath He reconciled. He restores us back into fellowship. Where once we walked, Adam walked with God in the garden because of rebellion and sin. He was separated from God. But now, we being in the, the race of Adam are also born separated from God. The enemies of God. But we are reconciled through Jesus Christ. That's why when he says he is the way, the truth, and the life, he literally, legitimately is the only way, the only truth, and the only life. There is no other option. Because we must be reconciled and our life must be transformed and changed. It's not a matter of new behavior. It's a new creature. We see the love of Christ is undeserved. 
Number five, praise the Lord, the love of Christ is unwavering. Look in Romans chapter 8, verse 35. Romans chapter 8, verse 35. Romans chapter 8, verse 35, we come face to face with a tremendous truth and promise. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Aren't you glad the love of Christ is unwavering? We might want to call it unconditional. Well, I'll tell you, nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Boy, when our day gets so dark and down, when it seems that everyone and everything is against us, we know that He is for us. That's a good thing to know. I mean, to think that the God of heaven is on your side in that sense. Now, let's just be honest. We have to be very careful with that. The truth is we need to be on His side. That's the reality. We learn that reality in the book of... Joshua chapter 5. Joshua's there looking over the city of Jericho and all of a sudden the angel of the Lord shows up. And he basically says, whose side are you on, sir? The angel of the Lord basically says, I'm on nobody's side. You need to get on my side. You know, that's the reality. We need to be on God's side. But as, if we are on His side by the new, through the new birth, if we're on His side by doing our best to be obedient the best we can, obviously no one's perfect. Doing our best for the Lord. We know that no matter how tough it gets, no matter how difficult it gets, He's there and He hears our prayers and He wants to answer our prayers. That love, is, that love of Christ is unwavering. It's always faithful. You know, with human beings, that's not the case. You know, you all, we did a wedding yesterday and people stand before one another and they make these vows before God and man and they promise to love, honor, and cherish and all of those things till death do us part. I love you, I love you, I love you. But let's be honest. Humanity and its love waxes and wanes. But not God's love. It doesn't. And you don't have to worry about your, His love lacking in your life. If you feel unloved today, then you, ought to, you may feel unloved by your family, your friends, your loved ones. But if you say you feel unloved by God, it's because once again you don't know Him. Because His love is unwavering. You know one of the great questions that you can ask and that I ask often is this. Do you feel loved? Oh, I know I'm loved. I didn't ask, do you know it? Do you feel it? Do you know most Christians don't feel loved by God? The reality of God is so distant and so far away. Is there any wonder that we find ourselves functioning and operating in duty so often? When we really have no personal relationship with the Lord to feel loved? 
You know, you know why I find it easy to go to work and to do what I do? Oh, yeah, you say, because you love the Lord? Yeah, but you want to know something? If I don't work a job, my wife doesn't eat. And I love my wife. You know, I feel loved by her. And so every time I get up and don't feel like going to work, I remember how I feel being loved. And it moves me to go to work. And I go to work and I say, well, the alternative is, is that the one I love and feel loved from does not eat. Love can move us and it motivates us and it causes us to do things that we don't want to do. I don't know how many times, uh, maybe you've not felt loved by your children at some point. I mean, I hear children, I was talking to the singles today, some words that we say that hurt people, and one of those words is hate. And children will say stupid things to their parents. Am I allowed to say stupid? But anyway, stupid things to their parents. One of the singles told me I wasn't allowed to do that. You're allowed to say stupid things, you're not allowed to call somebody stupid, that's what they said. And um, I said the older generation, we really got used to saying those things. But anyway, the, the, the fact is, is that I lost my train of thought thinking about that. The singles, we got talking about the idea of, of bad words that hurt people. And we said things like, a children, children will say things like, I hate you to mom or dad. Have you ever heard a child say that to their parents? Well, I'll tell you what, that, that, that hurts deep to a parent. Now, I know some parents are pretty, pretty you know, they realize that was, you know, that's just some kid saying something that they don't really mean. But you know what, that's not something you allow your child to say. That's right. yeah. You know, that has to be corrected. That has to be dealt with. You know, uh, that, that's an attitude, and we always correct for attitudes. We discipline for attitude, not action so much. And so, you know, that has to be addressed. But, boy, words like that hurt us. And sometimes we don't feel loved by our friends. We don't feel loved by our family. Even our own children or our wife or somebody. We don't feel loved. But there's one person whose love is unwavering. It never changes. And that's the Lord Jesus. He loves you. That song that the choir sang today. What a great song that was. What a great song. Then the song that Stephanie sang. Perfect. Finally, number six. But let me review again. The love of Christ is unappreciated. The love of Christ is underestimated. It's undermined. It's undeserved. And it's unwavering. And finally, number six. I couldn't help but place this one or put it in here. The love of Christ is just unbelievable. Amen. Now, in 1975, when officials in the Chinese city of uh, Haicheng were alarmed by odd and anxious behaviors of dogs and other animals, they observed these animals for a while and it led them to order 90,000 residents to evacuate the city. Literally, they evacuated the city. Only a few hours later, a 7.3 magnitude earthquake destroyed nearly 90% of the city's buildings. Isn't that amazing? That's unbelievable. You know, deep in the Amazon rainforest, there exists a rare breed of dog that has two noses. Yeah. Has two noses. I've seen some people that I thought had two chins or three chins, but never two noses. <laughs> Some of you are sleeping already. We're almost done. 
In World War II, this one's a little gruesome, but it's true. In World War II, nine airmen escaped from their planes after being shot down during bombing raids. Eight of those men were captured. They were tortured, beheaded, and eaten. The ninth man was George W. Bush. That's unbelievable to me. Do you know that it rains diamonds on Saturn? Can you imagine that? Uh, lightning storms turn methane into soot that hardens into chunks of falling diamonds. I've got to believe that's probably the most popular form of precipitation in the solar system. When you, I wouldn't mind going up there with a couple of little buckets and coming back with a little rain. You know? That's unbelievable, isn't it? Oh, those are unbelievable facts. But my friend, there is nothing more unbelievable than a love that would leave glory. Amen. Come to a God-forsaken earth like this. A sinful, wicked, wretched place. Be born in a manger and grow to be a man. A sinless, perfect one. Then make his way to Calvary, bloodied, beaten, and battered. To be nailed to an old rugged cross, with his beard plucked out, the crown of thorns upon his head, the cat of, tail, cat of nine tails having ripped his literal flesh and sinew off his body. And there hang before God and man to pay the penalty for my sin. There is nothing more unbelievable to me than that. Boy, the love of Christ is unbelievable. I want you to know that you're loved tonight. If you don't think anybody loves you, He does. He does. And He is worth serving. And He is worth loving. Because He first loved us. Father, we come to you tonight. We thank you again for your precious love. Lord, uh, tonight there may be somebody here that has never, never received and accepted Jesus Christ. <laughs>